Last Sunday, we, we looked at the amazing birth of Jesus. You remember, Christmas is about the amazing birth of Jesus. And we said, technically, it's not the birth, it's the conception of Jesus. Okay? And uh, what was amazing about that? The amazing thing was that Jesus did not have an earthly father. Mary's mother was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she gave birth to Jesus. And, and we looked last week at Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this great event, saying, listen, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So, so last week we looked at his amazing, unique birth. And what we are celebrating at Christmas, we are singing these songs and all. We are singing about the coming of God to earth in the form of a man. You know, there have been many people in history who have claimed to be God. There have been many mythological stories about gods. The Greeks had them and every culture has them. But the truth is, Jesus is the true God. Now, why? How? What? It's because his birth was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. And the amazing thing about Jesus was he was born of a virgin. Amazing. And we don't have time to get into his life and everything else this morning. But, but we look at a few things about Jesus. So God says, I will give you a sign that I'm going to come in the form of a man. And the sign is, it will be a son born to a virgin. We saw that last, last week. Today we're going to look at this word son. Jesus as the son of God. What is, you know, uh, if I were to say, what color, is, what color are the curtains? What would you say that they are? Blue. But you know, this is blue. This is blue. And there are other things that are blue. And there are different names for all these different blues. You remember, there's navy blue, light blue, uh, you know, azure, cyan, all these different things. They're all blue. But there's shades of differences. And similarly with Jesus... Okay, we, we know he's the son, but he's also in scripture referred to as the son of David. He's referred to as the son of man. He's referred to as the son of God. Okay, so different titles describing who this Jesus is. And I love the worship today because it was all about the glory and the wonder of Jesus. And, and this morning, we're going to look at these three Titles of Jesus, we're looking at the word son, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, and see what does the Bible say about those things. Okay, first of all, the son of David. Fifteen times in the Bible, Jesus is called the son of David, especially in the New Testament. And uh, how did this happen? That the son, that God coming in the form of a man would be called a son of David. What was so special about David? Think about it. You know, that God would say, I want to come and be known as the son of David. Wow. Okay, what, what did David do that made him so privileged? 
Okay, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Okay. And uh, we know a little bit about King David's life. All right? And uh, it says this. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Now David started off wonderfully, but then he had to flee for his life when King Saul wanted to kill him. Okay, but there came a time when Saul was killed, David's enemies were defeated, and he enjoyed peace. And, it's, and it says that he was in his palace, he had built a wonderful palace, and he had rest from all his enemies. And then David, sitting in his palace, this is what he said. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. What is that about? Okay. David was concerned. He said, I live in my lovely home here. You know, and maybe we could, we could change that to today's, uh, in today's context. I live in my nice three-bedroom flat with air conditioning and microwave and all these things. And then he says, but the ark of God is in a tent. And the, Nate, and the prophet Nathan said, do what you want to do. And, and, and David says, you know, I want to build a dwelling for the ark of God. And because David was so passionate and concerned about building a place, a temple for the ark of God, for God's presence, this is how he was rewarded. In, uh, in, in the same chapter, in verse 16, this is what um, God says to David. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Imagine going to one of the prime ministers or presidents today and saying, listen, you and your family are going to rule over this nation forever and ever till the end of time. They'll give you, your, they'll give you the vote. You know? and, and that's how it is. And that's, what, that's what God said to David. All right? What was it about David that God looked at? You know, David was a sinner. He killed Bathsheba's husband. He committed adultery with her. He did all kinds of things. Yeah, so he wasn't a perfect man. But what, what singled him out, you know, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Is this, he was passionate about the house of God he was passionate about the presence of God. Who wrote most, many of the Psalms? David. He, he loved to worship God, even as a young boy. He loved the presence of God. And at his old age, he was passionate about building a dwelling place, a temple for God. You know, today, we can apply that to our lives and learn something from King David. Okay? Do I have that same passion that David had for God's temple? Do I have that for God's church this morning? And, and that is something God delights in. He delighted in that. He delighted in, in, uh, in the fact that David wanted to build a temple for him. And so he was passionate to, about building the temple. David was passionate in worship and seeking the presence of God 
and he was passionate in giving towards building the temple of God. God blessed him and David, even though God said, David, you're not going to build this temple, your son will build it. David said, I want to give. And he gave generously towards the temple. And so I, I, the application for us this morning is, are we generous towards building the church of God? Can we do that? Okay. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is called the son of David. Matthew chapter 1 starts with that. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. And it starts with, in verse 2, uh, it says, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the New Testament records that David, that Jesus was a descendant of David. And uh, what's important here is this. God had promised that somebody would sit on D David's throne forever and ever till the end of time. And the Jews were looking forward to this Messiah, this king who would come and reign forever and ever. And David and, and Matthew tells us that Jesus was that king. In, in the New Testament, there was a time where Jesus was walking down the streets of Israel and uh, people were looking at him and there were two blind men. They were blind. And they said, and this is in Matthew 20, verse 30 and 31. And, and, and they asked in Matthew chapter 20, uh, two blind men, verse 30, were sitting by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and said, be quiet. But they continued all the more. And Jesus asked, what do you, stopped. And he looked at them. He said, what do, you want me, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them. He touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Wow. Now what's the amazing thing here? The amazing thing here is that the blind could see who Jesus really was. Although they were blind and physically they couldn't see, but spiritually their hearts and their eyes were open and they recognized Jesus as the son of David, the Messiah, the King. But those with eyes, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they did not recognize Jesus. They had the scriptures, they had Jesus in the flesh, in flesh and blood in front of them, but they were spiritually blind and they could not see him. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says this, it says, One day when Jesus returns, every eye will see him. Let's just turn to Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Yeah. It says, Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. So what is it saying here? It's saying that one day, Jesus will return. And then everybody will be able to will see Jesus and recognize who he is. And at that time, it will be too late. That's why they're mourning. It will be too late to accept him 
as the king, as the savior of the world. And so this morning I want to say to us that, hey, may the Lord open our eyes to see who this Jesus is and worship him as he, and receive him into our lives. In, in, uh, you know, in Romans chapter 1 verse 3, uh, looking, reading at verse from 2 onwards, he says, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't have time to get into it, but not only was Jesus' birth miraculous, he was the only one who was resurrected from the dead. Wow. Many people die. Hundreds of thousands die every day. But Jesus conquered man's greatest enemy, death, and came to life. Okay. Well, what's the application for us in all these promises? And this is the application. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the ancient promises that we find in the Old Testament. Okay? And when we live our lives on earth, yeah, we can get hold of these promises when times are tough, and even when times are good, and say, Lord, you said this, we know you're going to fulfill it. You know, personally speaking for us, there are wonderful promises. There are over 3,000 promises in Scripture. Some are like this. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. John 14.27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Yeah? And, and, and there are so many other promises. Forgiveness and salvation. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the biggest promise of all, eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when we look at the mess the world is in today with wars and killing and all these kind of things and corruption and evil, we can say, Lord, what's going to happen? But we know that one day Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to bring everlasting peace upon the earth for those who have trusted in him. Okay, let's look at the second title of Jesus this morning. Jesus being the Son of Man. And here, when it says Son of Man, it's talking about, you know, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, it's very difficult to get our minds through that. He's fully God but at the same time, he's fully man. And so about 80 times in scripture, he's referred to as the son of man. And, and the son of man ties up two things. His divinity, that is his godness, and his humanity, his humanness. Now, where did this title come from, as son of man? It comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Where Daniel has a vision Okay, and this is what he sees. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days 
and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay? So, so that is the Son of Man. Daniel had this vision hundreds of years before Jesus. And when Jesus came, he says, I'm the Son of Man. Wow. Fulfillment of that prophecy. And uh, we, we can look at a couple of things about Jesus' fulfillment. Number one is his, his divinity. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Son of Man, his divinity. He's going to come one day. He's going to come back. Uh, you know, Matthew 16, 28. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay. His humanity. Although Jesus was divine, he did miracles and rose from the dead, there was also his humanity. And, uh, you know, he, could, he identifies with us. This morning, you're sitting here and you may be thinking, nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I'm going through, what I'm feeling. But I want to say to you that people may not understand you. Your husband, your wife, your friend, your father or mother may not understand what you're going through. But there is someone who understands what you're going through. Hebrews 4.15 says this, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to em empathize with our weaknesses. But we, has, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And the unique thing about Jesus in his humanity is that he was tempted like us in every way, but he did not sin. That's another quality pointing to his uniqueness as the fully man, fully God. You know, you go to any religious leader, examine their lives, whichever faith, and just ask them this one question. Have you always obeyed everything that you believed was right? What's the answer you're going to get? Has anybody always done the, the right thing? No, we've not. Yeah, we've not. In fact, the Bible says there are books in heaven where everything we think speak and do are written down about us but about jesus he was tempted in every way but he was without sin because he was sinless he could die for us on the cross and save us in mark chapter 10 was 40 was uh, 45 jesus says for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. That's what Jesus came to do. So the other, the picture of the Son of Man is God and man together. His divinity, Jesus says, I'm going to come with my angels. I'm going to come to judge. I've got the power to forgive. But his humanity, he was tempted in every way. 
Okay, he understands what we are going through, and uh, that, that's who he is. And, and he gave his life to serve. So the application for us this morning is this, you know. Are we a people who are willing to take on servanthood? Jesus is the picture, you don't have time to get into it in Isaiah, the suffering servant, where he came to serve, and not just to serve, but to die. Okay? And he was a suffering servant. And, and that's the model for each one of us. That's what Jesus wants. You know, we, we always look at the glory, but without the cross, there was no glory. He had to go to the cross. And for each one of us, are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to serve for Jesus? But what we've got to do is keep our eyes on the reward. That's what Jesus said. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And the same thing for us. When we, when we are called to suffer, when we are called to serve, we are looking at the great reward that is in store for us. And finally, we look at Jesus, not just as the son of David or the son of man, but as the son of God. Forty times he's called the son of God. All right? And, and that title, son of God, testifies to his divine nature and his ability to save us, his bringing of salvation. At his baptism, when he was baptized, the heavens opened and God himself spoke. The father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay? And, and throughout scripture, we see Jesus as the son of God. In John 3.16, the most famous verse, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you go to see any football matches or anything, have you ever seen John 3.16 there? Okay, they advertise that. They put John 3.16. Well, why is that? Because this is the most important verse. In John chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 16, we just read, that, we just said that together, but it goes on to say, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Wow, that's why God sent Jesus. Verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Isn't that great? But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And, and today, if there is anybody here who has not yet believed in the name of God's one and only Son, I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and, and see the transformation that it will happen. You know, somebody went to somebody's house once and says, what proof is there that Jesus really is the Son of God? So the man says, you see this bottle? He says, you know what happened? Jesus turned whiskey into water. He says, what do you mean? He says, I used to be a person who just drank and got drunk, but Jesus changed me and I don't get drunk anymore. I drink water. 
That's the miracle that happened when I put Jesus into my life. Yeah. As you talk to people around here, we are all walking miracles. Isn't that life? Hasn't Jesus made a change in your life? Yeah, I know what I was. Horrible. I wouldn't want to associate with me. You know? But thankfully, when I came to Jesus, He changed me. Yeah? And, and that's the hope that we have. That Jesus is the Son of God who came to save sinners. Paul says he came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Okay. And, uh, yeah. and Jesus frequently referred to God as his father, indicating the intimacy and closeness of their relationship. And he says, I and my father are one. When Thomas says, show me the father, he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. Okay? And so I'll bring this to an end this morning. And say this, a gift was promised. The gift was that a virgin would give birth to a son. We've looked at the son. Who is the son? This son is Jesus. He's the son of David. Hundreds of years before he was born, because David was passionate for God's temple, God said, you will have somebody on the throne and that throne will be forever and ever. Can you imagine? So he's the son of David. He's the son of man. Jesus identified himself with humanity. Yeah? And his kingdom will never end. And Jesus is the son of God. Where he has come to offer salvation to all people. And as a church, that's what we've got to be involved with. Things are happening all over the world. But our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel. That people may hear of Jesus and receive this great salvation. So this Christmas, you know, as we, you know, 25th comes by, what are we celebrating? We are celebrating the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, who came to save sinners. And, that's, and we are rejoicing because we have been saved. Wow. Today I know that whenever I die, I know that I will be with Jesus forever not because i'm a good person but because he's a good god and he says whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life let's pray okay. let's just think for a minute about the different applications what is it that you need to get hold of this morning you know do you need to be Grow in your passion and your commitment to building God's church. Will you be faithful in that area? Maybe there are, you're not giving or not serving or not enjoying His presence. And you're saying, Lord, I'm going to do that. Or maybe you want to get hold of the promises of God and say, Lord, I'm going through a tough time, but I'm going to hold on to your amazing promises. Or maybe you're getting hold of the Son of God and saying, Lord, I need salvation. I don't know where I'm going after I die, but I want what these people want. And he's saying, Lord, Jesus, I trust you, Lord. Father, I thank you for each one here, Lord. I pray that uh, you would, by your Spirit, work in our hearts, Lord. 
Would you apply your word to our hearts that they would bear fruit? Lord, if somebody who needs a salvation, Lord, may they reach out to you, touch their hearts. Like the blind men, would you open their spiritual eyes as you open the physical eyes of the blind men? Lord, for those who need to grow in their passion and commitment to your church, would you put a love and a desire for them, just as you put that in David's heart, that he was so passionate for the temple of God. Lord, I pray for us to follow your example, Lord, of embracing servanthood, suffering, because we know that one day we will share in your glory. Lord, we can't do this by ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And if you'd like to speak to any of us about all of this after the meeting, you're welcome to come and speak to one of us and ask us questions, as people did in the New Testament.